You've come to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. I'm Gary Wilkerson. Last episode, we began to talk about the lens which we see through. I was sharing how, um, you know, if I put the wrong glasses on, it's going to affect my life negatively. I'll bump into the tables and hurt myself. If I have the right glasses, it magnifies things, makes them more. And we want to dig, we want to magnify the word, know it more. So we, we started then, we just started then talking about uh, the various uh, uh, classical frameworks, very evangelical, very accepted in the church. All of them are... Uh, none of them would be considered heresy, but all of them impact us differently. And the first one we started talking about was dispensationalism, and we were just kind of defining that. If you didn't catch that, you know, look, look back on last episode, but and then join us back here real quickly. Uh, but anything else on, uh, let's talk about dispensationalism a little bit more. Before we do, let, can I just give like a, just a real quick mm-hmm. explanation of what we're talking about holistically? So there, there really are th- two main um, sort of views of, of the church um, and in Christianity and the way we look at God's word. Um, and then one that's, you know, a little more of an outlier. Right. So, it is, yeah. you know, the judgment, uh, you know, redemption, redemption through judgment, through judgment yeah. is, is a little more of an outlier, yeah. um, is kind of uh, attached to a couple of uh, church, uh, hit, um, uh, excuse me, church um, denominational views that kind of really hold the line to I'm that. Sorry to interrupt you, but the only reason I brought that up, because you're absolutely right, the, for those first two are, are, are the classical ones, dispensationalism and covenant theology. The reason I brought the third one up is because I read a book last year and it came to my attention again and I just thought it was really brilliant and, yeah, yeah. and he he advocates for a the, the the theme of scripture from Adam to uh, the Armageddon is judgment brings uh, redemption it's, yeah. it's, it's through Adam anyway we'll get into that and, and there really and there probably are a couple of others yeah. that are that are sort of outliers but the two main ones just so everyone's clear what we're talking about is is uh, dispensationalism of which there are different nuances, different versions of it, but basically uh, dispensationalism and covenant theology. So dispensationalism really means that God revealed Himself um, and deals with people differently through different dispensations from the beginning of the Bible until now. Like for now, for instance, now we're in what is considered the church age and dispensationalism. Um, and that's one way to sort of look at the Bible. So it's going to change the way you look at Romans. It's going to kind of change the way you look at the Old Testament. It's definitely, like you said, going to change the way you look at the church in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said before, while there are some some valuable insights in that, um, I would probably lean or not even lean would be much more on the other side of the street, which is covenantal theology. And it really is a little more simple. Um, it's, you know. it's that God has dealt with people based on covenants that he's made um, throughout the, the history of the world. And realistically, all, although there are many covenants in the Bible, the Davidic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, uh, the covenant of grace and all of this, it really focuses on two covenants, which is um, the law and the gospel, and that, that we really see all things kind of through those lens. And so while I would, I found some beneficial things from dispensationalism, I personally and humbly, and if you disagree, it's okay. I have many, many friends who have a different view on this to me, but I tend to believe that the Bible speaks more through, um, uh, God deals with this more in a covenantal way than than in a dispensational way. Yeah. <clears throat> when, you look, when you have the 30,000-foot view, either one of those would be acceptable to me. There's various covenants. 
Uh, and there's seasons that God works differently. I, I know that God's working differently in, through the church uh, because we have the cross and the blood of Jesus and, and uh, we don't have animal sacrifices. So we, I know there's differences. So I know there are ages where God is, he's unchanging, but he's, he's uh, moving through us, in us, in various ways. So I could be a dispensationalist that way, or I could be a covenant theologian as, as well. It's when you get into the, when you lower it and get into some of the details um, and that's where, you know, the danger of us talking about this today is we're going to lose a lot of friends sure. and a lot of followers. I hope people, not. I hope uh, not. Yeah, no, but, 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 you know, a lot of, a lot of people listening, as soon as they hear what we're about to put, put on the plate, they're going to go like, that's heresy. That's not, that's not biblical. And, and I would challenge that. I would, I would say, <clears throat> look at the, look at the scriptures, you know, one more time um, and, uh, or many more times. And, you know, be the Berean, see if these things that we're saying <clears throat> today, and we're, and we're not trying to convince people, you know, that's not the reason we did this podcast to say, stop being a dispensationalist and be a covenant totally. theologian. Um, we're saying that, you know, both of them, as I said, you know, love Jesus and we can fellowship. Probably 90% of the people I work with would uh, at World Challenge would be dispensationalists as well. And so, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I just wanted to bring this forth today just to get people to start thinking, because that's what happened to me. Uh, without even, you know, when I was a young man, the Left Behind series, uh, there's going to be this secret rapture of the church, and then there's going to be a, 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 the, the seven years of tribulation, then Jesus is going to come back again, and then there's a thousand-year millennial reign, and then Jesus is going to come back, or you know, Jesus at the end is going to bring the consummation of, of all things. <clears throat> that, that really, that order of sequence sounds so like, duh, that's, that's it, there's no other thing. All we're doing today is say, maybe, just think about it, maybe there is another way to look at this. And if it's biblical, then we would invite you to move into that. If it's if you examine these things that we're saying today and you, you determine that that's not biblical, but if it's just sort of, I've heard this all my life, I saw the Left Behind movies, I've heard, you know, the songs, you've been left behind, you know, and so... Uh, if that's all you're clinging to in your theology, then we would invite you to move into something maybe a little more um, <clears throat> discerning of, of, of not, not that the dispensationalists wouldn't discern it. But anyway, you know, dispensationalists really in, in, the, in the sense that we're talking about it now, and there's two types of dispensationalists. One is the classical dispensationalist, which be, I'd be closer to that. Uh, and, and then there's the more modern one that started by J J Nelson, John Nelson Darby, uh, what, 1800, late yeah, 1800s? late 1800s. And, yeah. and then you get, you know, these sort of, uh, these study Bibles that really yeah. did impact, you know, the way people yeah. viewed the Bible. They became very popular. Schofield. The Schofield Study Bible. Ryrie. The Writings of Darby. Um, Ryrie Study Bible. Ryrie Study Bible. I think... Uh, I, had, I, I used that for probably 10 years of my I life. I think the Schofield Study Bible, though, really laid out, you know, and I'm, I think the, the Ryrie probably did too, but the Schofield Study Bible laid out... There, That was sort of, in my estimation, I could be wrong, there may be something before it, but these sort of like graphs and graphs these timelines and charts so, that, that, you know, that's so comp I mean, compelling. Yeah, like 10 layers and... Right. Especially the ones that have the pictures... You know, an angel up here and a devil up here and a key there and a yes. you know, it's just like I, I've never seen any of that in the scripture. They, they they must be, they must have gnostic understanding of things that right. you know that I, you know, and that and and to me that just sorry I kind of interrupted you. No, it's okay. To me, it's it's the obscure interpreting the clear. Right. When when you're when you're doing that, uh, I, I'd say that's one of the the 
one of the problems I have with the not the classical right. uh, dispensationalism uh, that 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 you know so, but but the this more more modern one that is more the American. And I think Culture. you can, I think we, even though I did mention the fact that most dispensationalists um, would be premillennial, pre-tribulation in their eschatological, and if you don't know what that means, it just means their view of the end times, it's just a theological word. Um, even if we just wanted to cut that part off, cut off eschatology just for a second, the real, the real meat of it is, um, is really how do we view um the order of events in the world and who has control of them. And for me, it comes down to a word that I think defines covenant theology, and that is sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. Um, You know, the idea that God had a plan and that plan won't be thwarted. Um, And so you can get into a lot of nuances in this conversation, but for me, without getting into, um, you know, the order of salvation or any of these other things, I have to believe that this Bible was written by a God who is in control, um, a God who deemed to take his people out of, uh, out of Egypt and did, uh, a God that deemed to have King David on the throne, and he was, a God that deemed to redeem his people through a Savior, and he did. And so even though there's a thousand different nuances we can talk about, you know, we don't, I don't want to get into a discussion about free will and man and all that, but just knowing that ultimately that God is in control. And I think that's what the covenants really show is, is who is, who this story is really about. It's about God. It's about God. And yes, we are part of that. We are benefactors of that. But for me, I'll just mention this as a personal anecdote. You know, I grew up like most people believing in a very, dispensational viewpoint was actually, you know, taught that, um, went through, you know, was in churches that taught that around a lot of men who taught that. And so, you know, don't, I don't have any like agenda against it. It was through personal study of the Bible. And then there is a lens involved, but begin to read people that I thought took the Bible very seriously, like the Puritans and St. Augustine and um, Charles Spurgeon and just getting in there and realizing to me, not because they were even, you know, proposing covenantal theology, but I just begin to sort of see that in the scripture more. Um, and that's when I kind of started changing course. But like I said, I'm not even a person that's, that's uh, you know, strictly covenantal. I would just say that most of my views probably line up with, with that sort of vein of Christianity. Yeah, yeah mine too. Uh, uh, and so, if, again, if you're looking at the big picture, we've talked about covenant being law and gospel. And so that's a lens we're looking at Scripture. <clears throat> all of Scripture, Martin Luther says this, <clears throat> the most discerning Christian is the one who's going to see all of, all of the Scripture through the, either the law or the gospel and to rightly appropriate those things in our life. So if we see it as law, we don't say it's, it's bad. Luther and others talked about the three uses of the law. Uh, the, the kind of a civil law that helps govern the world. Uh, don't murder. That's that's kind of civil. And, that, and then the ceremonial was was more for the the Jewish people about the cleansing and things like that. The moral law is something that is still with us today that Jesus came to fulfill, and we can live in that through Christ. Now, not trying to get sanctified or justified through obeying the law, but now that we are justified and He's sanctifying us, the law becomes sort of a a glance that we can glance at, like, oh, okay, you know, that that's. 
I'm, I'm erring in this error, or, and, I, and then I'm bringing it back to the Holy Spirit work in me. So the, the third use of the law is still appropriate today, where maybe a dispensationalist would say, or a lot of them would say, there's no, you know, the law is finished. It's, it's, it's over. We, we have nothing to do with the law. So they would maybe split the Old Testament, maybe a little more with the New Testament. Um, so those, and the, so those are some of the bigger, bigger things. But some of the smaller things, that's where I get a little bit disturbed. Is, is so. For instance, a dispensationalist say, when it comes to the Book of Revelation, we read the Bible literally, uh, whereas a covenant theology, you would just be figurative, and therefore you just you just make stuff up that you don't like, which I find difficult because when they say they read it literally, they really don't. They don't think that, um, you know, that, that the devil is a, a, literally a dragon or, Some do. or a beast. Oh, do they really? I mean, I've okay. heard some people before, you know, and I don't, and I definitely don't want to characterize, you know, the more um, academic, well-thought-out yeah. people. I don't want to put them in this camp. So if you're one of those people, don't. But I have actually heard people that, you know, that's when they were saying, you know, well, this means this is representative of a helicopter, right? right. It's going to come and the this is going to be, you know, bullets from a helicopter mm-hmm. and that there are going to be these beasts actually coming and stuff. So some people, you know, I mean, when you get into the eschatological view, what literal means to many different people is going to be. There's a nuance of, of views on it. Yeah, uh, and yet, uh, so so there would be the sense, okay, if you're in the covenant theology, uh, you're you're not reading the Bible literally. But I would say it's kind of equal because dispensationalists as well pick and choose what they see as literal. So there's a literal thousand years. There's a literal seven year. Thing, but other things they would say is not necessarily literal. Right. You know, it's not literally 144,000 people are going to go to heaven. Right. Uh, that that's figurative. So it's, it's you know both of us kind of end up picking and choosing what we see is whereas the covenant um, way of viewing the scripture tends to be we're not necessarily saying it's not literal. It's not in you know we're we're, we're saying it is inspired. It is inerrant. It is what it says. But we're saying it, it's. We're seeing it, okay, if you're saying things poetically, then we read it poetically. We don't read it literally. Yeah. Um, We'll talk more about this in another session, but, you know, this is the idea of apocalyptic literature and how how you really view those things. The main thing, you know, not to get into a terribly long conversation on the book of Revelation because there are many views, and I hold probably that looser than I do any area of my systematic theology. But I would say that a very important question that we ask in every other place when we read the Bible that many people disconnect from in the book of Revelation that I want, that I think it's important to ask is, what would the people of John's day perceive the book of Revelation to be about? He was right. If, if, if it was a book that that audience couldn't have got anything from, um, how how is it written to them? And then we have to go back to our hermeneutical view and say, well, we apply, you know, grammatical, historical hermeneutics and literary form everywhere else in the Bible except here. We don't, and we don't do that in the book of Psalm. We don't do that in the book of Proverbs. Yeah, we don't say uh, the trees literally clap their hands. That's exactly right. But when and we read it literally, as that's poetic. And so one thing I think that, that really helped shape my view on the book of Revelation was this this one statement that the, that the book of Revelation is the revelation of the written, the risen Christ. Yeah. And everything else is 
is consequential to that. And so I think that's, that helps frame, you know, my view of it, but I think we have to view it. But in a covenantal sense, what is the point of that, that Christ overcomes the lamb, that the, that the, the hill of the, the seed of the woman finally truly and ultimately crushes the head of the serpent and that God's people will be singing, you know, holy, holy, holy for the eons of eternity. And so how we get there uh, anyways, I no, that's get, good. got a little distracted. But. Yeah, no, that, and I only brought up Revelation not to dig into the weeds of it as well, but just to say that's a difference between the two ways, these two predominant lenses of seeing Scripture is that one would see certain things as... as um, yeah, you know, literal, or maybe maybe we see that as literal as well, but just through the lens of these different ways of interpreting Scripture. Pastor Joshua West here, co-host of the Gary Wilkerson podcast. I want to invite you to go to worldchallenge.org and listen to the latest sermon series from myself and from Gary Wilkerson. Where it comes down to, uh, but this but this whole thing of rapture, second coming. Melinda Rain, then, then the, the the eternal uh, glory of Christ, on, on a new heaven and new earth. Um, you know, it it is. You, know, you just where I where I kind of moved into something that's more of a covenant is is just seeing the simplicity of you know of Jesus saying, "I'm coming back," and when I come back, he doesn't really say, I'll, "and I'll be." I'll see yeah, you twice. I, I'll see you again. I'm coming back. Uh, you know, there's a second coming, then there's a third coming, and then there's a fourth coming. Um, nor uh, and and every time the new every time from all the gospels and all of the epistles and uh, letters to the churches, every single one of them, the the when Christ appears again, there is the the you know the dead rising Christ. Then we're caught yes. up in the air with him. And read them. Look at every single scripture, whether it's out of the mouth of Jesus. When he's going to come back, what is he going to do? He's going to judge the earth, melt it with a fervent heat, uh, separate the sheep from the goats. It's not like I'm going to come. I don't see anything in those other than the book of Revelation. Then you have to go back into Daniel. Uh, I don't see anything that says, uh, you know, and again, that's that's the part where people are probably already turning off this podcast. Sure. And like, oh, I can't believe Gary Wilkerson and Joshua West, you know, are, are talking about something a little bit different than the classical or, or, you know, more modern dispensationalism. But we are talking about something a little bit different. And all we're asking for people to do is <clears throat> start off, the, let the clear interpret the obscure. Right. And the obscure <clears throat> is this, this whole <clears throat> big chart thing. I just want to challenge people to say, that's obscure. It, and it might be right. Some of it might be right, but but you really are taking a you have to take a man's interpretation of something that isn't. There's special insight. I hear many of these men say God has given me special insight into the Book of Revelation, and their little chart may be a little different than the next guys. But there's always this, you know, this exact moment by moment, second by second. This is happening. That's happening. Set your watch by it type stuff. Whereas the thing that really you know, and I'm letting all my cards on the table. First and foremost, I, I don't have any problem with, you know, the preacher rapture view of view. Many of my brothers hold that view. Yeah, I'm I, I, I'm, I, I always say I'm probably more post-trib than pre-trib, but I won't be mad if I'm wrong, right? If Christ comes back and, you know, um, I, I want to be part of that. The reason I, I, just exactly what you said, I hesitated on the pre-trib rapture was just simply because of this. Other than in the book of First Thessalonians, the language of 
where they only place where they get the sort of word that's being raptured or taken up. Um, other than there, and, th- and, and I have a great explanation for that, but other than there, there is no language of a coming and then a second coming. There's just... Or a third coming. Yeah, yeah. you know, I just... Yeah, he came, died, rose again, ascended to heaven. That's the first coming. There, there doesn't seem to be a second and a third coming, um, or if you want to say a fourth coming or whatever. But to me, when Christ comes back, the, the, the dead in Christ rise, he judges the living and the dead. And that, to me, is the language of the whole New Testament. Uh, and so there, I don't see any place. Now, when it does talk about someone being taken and someone not being taken and all this sort of stuff, that language there, um, to me, I feel like that that is, there, there's no reason to believe that that's not at the second coming of Christ. I think it's painting a picture of what it's going to be like. That is a literal separation of sheep and goats at that moment. It doesn't ever say like, and these people will be left behind for this amount of time. Right. Well, it also says, if you read on, you know, and uh, again, that's another one. We're actually giving a, a lesson here on uh, uh, context. Yeah, con- con- context. Uh, it says, you know, one will be taken, the other will be left behind. And the disciples ask, where, Lord? And he goes to where the vultures gather. Yep. And so the ones that are taken are actually taken into judgment. And that's what I, that's how I read that yeah. scripture. And so, but, you know, the, 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 the modern dispensationalist that, again, the Darby uh, school of thought would take that scripture and others to say, okay, that means, they're, you know, we're taken and they're left behind for, for judgment. Yeah. We're, we're, again, just, you know, I'd say First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, uh, Peter, other, and then Jesus is teaching Matthew 25. Is 25? Um, in Matthew 25. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or these are some of your, and then the book of Revelation. But it, but if you start with the clear, uh, Jesus' teachings, uh, Paul and Peter's teachings, and, and just ask yourself, does it, it, see if there's a link between when Jesus comes, uh, you know, so like even the even the, in uh, the thief of, the thief in the night, which was another name of a book and a movie, the thief in the night, and that was like the, he's, the thief he's going to come and steal away. Well, that's that's from First Thessalonians chapter five, and and it's a, it's another judgment chapter. It's a, it's 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 saying you know what's going to be be happen is is uh, you know Christ will come and this is the very thing we're talking about will happen. So yeah, again, we're not we're not trying to get this is not a sure. podcast on. Millennial or, or rapture or things totally. like that, but it's but it's to say that mm, there's a difference. I, I just want to have people like be willing to say there is another way of looking at this, right. and the way that American church is looking at it is new. It's not been within the last 150 years. And before that, it was all covenantal, almost, almost all. all. Yeah, yes. yeah, maybe the Roman Catholic Church might have a slightly different. Uh, view view of it, but uh, any, any uh, things from from the early church fathers there, there was there was a little bit of historical dispensationalism, which is different than that. We don't have time to get into that, but uh, mostly it was more just seeing uh, through this lens. And again, not to get wrapped up in eschatology here, but uh, I would say it's not just eschatology. It's where I have a problem with uh, where the dispensational theology leads us to. Is Israel um, having a, a, another temple? That's and, exactly and start, what I'm starting to have blood sacrifices again. To me, that's that's that where you, I, I get into, that's that's where I draw a line. Say, okay, now that's not cl- classical Orthodox Christianity. No that, doubt. that says, okay, Jesus is not sufficient anymore. Why would you go back to something that 
could not cleanse the conscience. You know, it's just we're going to have to throw away the book of Hebrews then and all kinds of stuff. In fairness to, you know, some some of your more, in my opinion, more biblical dispensationalists, many of them would reject that. You know, the idea of... Uh, they would believe in a literal, you know, this this literal temple where Christ rules and reigns, and that's I'm totally fine with that. They would reject any sort of like re the redoing of the sacrificial system okay, and stuff. Yeah. But but I know many who who think that lambs are going to be sacrificed to Jesus and all this kind of stuff. I think one of the things that in a little bit of time we have left here, um, I think what you kind of hit on here is probably the biggest place for me where I think the most important distinction is made. And this is, uh, many people would call my view or your view of, uh, of this as replacement theology. Uh, they, they use the term replacement theology because, this up. This is important. because they're saying the idea that you're saying that the church replaced Israel. Um, and so, you know, God, Israel was God's people. Now you're saying the church is Israel. Well, the truth is, uh, I don't think there's, in my opinion, I don't think there's any debating of the point because what it really comes down to is by what means are men saved? Are men saved by, were any men saved under the old covenant? Well, Paul and Galatians would say no. No one has ever been saved because of the law. No one. Um, And so, the idea that that Israel is saved somehow under an old covenant, and I think the distinction of you know of seeing these types and shadows of Israel was saved and delivered to a promised land, yeah. but that better city, that future home, is is a future city, a new Jerusalem where Christ will rule and reign, yeah. and that this idea that that they're they're saved into it through one means and we're saved into it through another. You can call me a replacement theologian, but I would simply say that there's no person that will ever be eternal in the presence of God other than those who are saved by faith. Hebrews 11 makes this clear. And so when one of my big sort of arguments for this always goes back to John chapter 8, when we're talking to Jewish leaders Jewish leaders who are calling Jesus out and they say, wait a minute, what are you telling us we need to be fleet freed from our sin for, from, from slavery? We're not slaves to anyone. And Jesus goes on to tell them, not only are you, not only are you slaves, but you're children of the devil. <laughs> you're children of the devil. And so now could, could those, was he giving them like a horrible, you know, uh, you know, well, because they're the Pharisees or because they're going to crucify him. No, we all are. We all are in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of light. And and I think the idea that there's a secondary mechanism for Israel, um, the, the, I don't like to call us Israel, even though the language of the Bible does say that this is what Israel will be. This will be God's inheritance. This will be God's promise. But because people get it confused about what I'm saying, but but the reward of Christ's suffering is a people saved unto himself, and those people will be made up of Jews and Gentiles alike. And they came in through faith in God. Yeah. And that, and so for me, that that sort of idea that there's going to be two sets of people is completely opposed to the teachings of the New Testament. Yeah. And I think the problem we some might have with that is the plan that God has for Israel is it negated, you know, and some scriptures seem to indicate, no, that, you know, Israel has a special place in God's heart, you know, so yes. for, for, for for eons of time, God 
you know, had purposely picked people out of all the world and said, you're my chosen people. <clears throat> and then he brought in the church too. Now, to, And so to me, where, where I land on that, and we've never discussed this before, so we may have some different views on this, uh, but uh, Romans 11, 17, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, <clears throat> not, uh, now share in the nourishing root. So where we are one is in the root. Both Jew and Gentile are one in the root. But yet there are branches here, it seems to be saying. And so, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's, and it's not a different way to save them. It all has the same root and stuff like that. But I believe God still has a, uh, like he, he, he wants to, uh, you know, he, like there's this sense of he's calling Israel back. So the, the Jewish people have been hardened and God is calling back. So I wouldn't replace it saying, uh, you know, there's no Israel now, or God no, has no special not. interest in Israel. We have been grafted into that. Into though. them, yeah, into, into what his starting place was Israel, and now we got to get the joy of being grafted into that. So so we're we're kind of a new Israel, but that doesn't, doesn't do away with, the, 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 in my view anyway, that there is an old, so, so but, but we're both grafted into the, but we're both branches, uh, but the, but one branch doesn't get saved through Jesus Christ, and the other branch through the covenant or the law yes. or sacrifices. We all have the the root is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. No doubt. That's why Paul here is telling the Gentiles, don't become boastful or arrogant because you're being saved. Yeah. Because it's you're actually being grafted. You're you're not the root system. Right. You're being yeah. grafted into the root system. Yeah. You're a wild olive branch. Right. That root system is the faithful. Um, uh, demonstration and revelation of God that God chose a group of people to set apart as holy for the glory of himself, for the raising him up of the prophets, for the writing of the scripture, for the for the earthly lineage of, of the Savior. Yeah. So that's the root system that we're, we're... But that root system is the church. Israel is a part of that, but that root system is is the people of God, both Jew and Gentile alike. That's why Paul starts this book off by saying, Romans 1, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it alone, well, it didn't say alone, but it says it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. It doesn't say, you know, for the Gentile because the Jews already are. no. The gospel is the mechanism for salvation. Right. Um, in the in the worst version of dispensational dual, dual covenantalism, people like John Hagee would tell you, "Don't even preach to Jews. Don't waste your time on them." What a hor- horrible thing to say. Yeah, don't don't preach to Jews because they're already saved. Um, and so for me, it really when we start getting this far out into the ocean. This is where the gospel comes under attack, and we have to stand up and say, um, no matter what you believe about the end times, no matter even what you believe about Israel and in the earthly sense to some point, when it comes to salvation, there's only one group of people saved unto the eternal family of God, and those are the people that came in through the, the save. Listen, even here in the next part, it talks about that Jesus is the Savior of Israel. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Paul, I won't spend a ton of time this, but in the beginning, that's why, that's why in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, and 4, Paul doesn't only say the Gentiles, he breaks down the Gentiles as not good, and the Jews also, no one's good, no nots one. Right. All our good deeds are filthy rags, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And then he makes it clear that eventually that the salvation through Christ is for the Jew first and, and for the Gentile. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Well, we've run out of time. A lot of good stuff. Um, at some point, we'll explore, uh, you know, because you said something there that is sort of like, oh, that's interesting because uh, the, 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 you're seeing the church as the root. I would, I would see, you know, Christ as the root. No, no, no. So and, just and then, to click. And then out of that. To clarify, okay. the John 15 says, I am the vine. Right. And you are the branches. So Christ is is the root. He is actually called the root in the book of Isaiah. Right, yeah. What I'm saying is is what what this blot this root blossoms out are people. Yeah. And the church, church. ultimately, um, it's it's not going. There's not going to be two divisions of people. You can say there are two branches, sure. But but the idea of it's one tree. It's one tree. Yeah. We are all in Christ. Yeah. And one so, one new man is is very clear. You know, yeah. and some of my closest. Uh, Jewish Christian, Jewish believing messianic friends would would clearly believe that that we're one we're one people. And if I misstated that, I de- no, church, I'm definitely no. not saying the church is yeah. the root. I'm saying the church, Christ people, ultimately is made up of Jew and Gentile. Yeah. And the root and the and the, 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 the vine is, is the tree Christ is the, is the church in a sense. And that's why the covenant the way of looking at things. Uh, Israel got saved. There's a law in the gospel, even, and that's where you know a lot of people wouldn't say that. It was like the old the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, New Testament is the is the gospel. Well, there was gospel for Israel. You know, they believed Abraham believed in faith, that's right. and that, the faith was looking forward to the gospel. Jesus Christ saved them. So we didn't have time to talk about uh, redemption through judgment. Maybe that's the sovereign plan of God. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, we'll, I'll just in ten seconds just say uh, it sees the, the scripture as I said earlier. From you know you start with Adam. Uh, sin brought him into judgment in, in order that God could show his mercy. Uh, Israel was put into slavery in order that God could show his mercy and his, his salvation, his power. Uh, you know, just the, the prophets would preach judgment so that people's hearts would come under uh, the knowledge of sin. Uh, then, you know, you've got Paul then talking about New Testament uh, about the law being something that, you know, it's, it judges our heart and stuff like that. So, yeah. so that's another lens. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Hamilton. And he wrote a book called The Glory of God in the Judgment, uh, uh, Redemption Through Judgment, uh, yeah. Hamilton. And I, and, I, and I highly recommend that book, uh, not only for its understanding of the lens of this, but also for its discernment of modern culture. It's just saying uh, America and the world today is at the pinnacle, once again, of needing the hand of God to bring judgment in order to show his mercy that if there's going to be a great revival and spiritual waking in America or around the world, it will come first through judgment. And I, I see that very clearly. So that's a, that's a book we'd recommend. Amen. Thanks for being with us. I uh, hope we didn't overwhelm you. hope we didn't offend you. If we did, we, we did so in with an honest heart saying, this is what the scriptures uh, speak to us as we try to do the proper exposition of scripture and hermeneutics of scripture. We And um, I don't know if you had to change Thing, but I had to, I had to change because of what I saw exactly. through, through the way I do that, and I don't hold to any lens because of my history or because of my past doctrine. I hold to it because I could I believe I can defend it like a Berean in the Word of God. Um, again, not to divide us in any way, and we hope you continue to follow us and uh, check out because we're going to encourage you uh, less controversial things up in the next <laughs> few episodes, but more inspiring and also. Um, uh, provoking to, to to a greater depth. Uh, I, I want to know this. The, the the whole series we started when we first started this uh, fascinating, life altering Word of God. 
uh, was from First Corinthians there, where it says, we know the things of God, yea, even the deep things of God. And we believe that comes through the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Scripture. So thank you, Joshua. You brought some great insight today. And uh, God bless you. Thanks for being with us today. Ephesians 6.18 says that we should pray at all times in the Spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplication. If you would like someone at World Challenge to pray with you, visit worldchallenge.org forward slash prayer or call us at one 833 W-C-Praise. Again, that's one 833 praise If you enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to do two things. First, share this with someone else. Second, click on the subscribe or follow button on whatever app you're using to listen to the show. That way you get notified when we release a new episode. Thanks for joining us. We hope to see you next time. 